I'm not interested in making a film with you. Well, what are you interested in? You. You see, I saw you in the house those other nights. In what house? You know, that show that you put on, you know, with the masturbation routine and all the diamonds and everything. I was watching you from here. You were the girl in the window, right? Hi, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews of all different eras, but I started back in 1996 online. You can read all of my written work as they exist today at Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you, though, if you like the show that you hear today, to also check out my other podcast called To the 90s and Beyond, which of course covers films of the 1990s, but also newer films as well. At the time of this recording, I am almost done with the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World series. So you can check all of that out at quipster.net for the links. Today, I'm going to be getting into the third and final part of this three-part look at the thrillers of Brian De Palma during the 1980s. Of course, we already looked at uh, Dress to Kill as well as blowout i'm going to continue on we're going to skip over scarface i'll get to that at a future episode but body double from 1984 body double is like his other thrillers an r-rated film it does have strong sexuality nudity graphic violence and graphic language the runtime is an hour and 54 minutes the main stars are craig wasson melanie griffith greg henry and deborah shelton with supporting roles going to guy boyd and dennis franz the director, of course, is, as I mentioned, Brian De Palma, who co-writes the screenplay along with Robert J. Average. Now, the idea for Body Double came to Brian De Palma during his uh, time when he was working on Dress to Kill. He had to replace Angie Dickinson for some shots of her body with a body double when she's in the shower scene during her masturbation. So Angie Dickinson wasn't really completely comfortable doing that, so... De Palma decided to cycle through a lot of different models to come in, specifically models who would be very comfortable appearing naked, not only in the film, but also on the set. Women who have been posing in Playboy or Penthouse or in adult films, he saw quite a few of them. And during this time, he really came to the conclusion that a beautiful body, specifically a female body, performing a, a seductive act, a sexual act, is really the surest way to capture an audience's undivided attention. There was really nothing else that will keep everybody riveted in as to what was going on on the screen. So he thought, well, you know, that could actually happen in life as well. He had this idea for this new concept, maybe a, a voyeuristic murder mystery, similar to a lot of elements found in some of his favorite films like Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo and Rear Window. And in his idea for a story for what we he would dub Body Double, there was going to be a man, a man who hires a porn actress to pose as his wife in order to entice a, a new colleague into watching what he feels is just this random woman performing sexual acts through the window from a neighboring Manhattan apartment. This voyeur, this new colleague, witnesses the man's real wife getting drowned in a bathtub 
And she happens to be drowned by her husband, but it's not really her husband to the voyeur because the husband is disguised as a thief completely under Rastafarian makeup, hair, makeup. The Rastafarian, of course, doesn't exist, which will give the husband an alibi when the voyeur reports it to the police. That's kind of the main setup for Body Double. Now, feeling burnt out on directing thrillers, De Palma really only wanted to produce and write Body Double. This was going to be a story that he would develop for an up-and-coming talent, somebody new to direct. De Palma was going to instead channel his energy into trying to break out of this mold, and he was going to specifically do it with his John Travolta vehicle he was working on for a few years, a film about a Jim Morrison-like rock star. During this time, he took in this 1981 slasher film called Eyes of a Stranger, and De Palma actually thought that its director, Ken Wiederhorn, had a lot of talent. So he brought him in to read his 13-page treatment. And Wiederhorn agreed. He could direct this film, but he had one condition, which was he wanted to bring his own screenwriter in, a man named Robert Average, somebody that he had collaborated on a couple of projects before that had not been produced yet. And De Palma's agent happened to possess an original average script that he had been shopping around Hollywood a, a year before called Geshem Barzell, which translates to The Steel Rain, which was this uh, drama, this war drama about wives whose husbands were frontline soldiers in the Yom Kippur War. De Palma sampled the script. He thought the writing was good enough, so he invited Average to his New York office in Greenwich Village to offer him the chance to write Body Double. De Palma would pay out of pocket for both Average and Wiederhorn for their talent, their services, and Average happened to share uh, De Palma's deep admiration for Hitchcockian suspense thrillers, so it seemed like a match that was made in heaven here to do a very Hitchcockian film. They decided to screen both Rear Window and Vertigo, among other films, for inspiration for how they were really going to approach the body double script. Now, Average's first two passes weren't completely pleasing to either De Palma or Wiederhorn. So at De Palma's encouragement, he decided that Wiederhorn needed to get more involved in the screenwriting process. He should actually co-write the screenplay with Wiederhorn, and that would help minimize a lot of the quibbles that he might have had because he was going to have direct involvement. Wiederhorn felt that screenwriting really was not his bag per se, but De Palma advised that he really give it a try, get some experience trying to do it, because optioning story ideas is something that helped support new filmmakers financially between directorial efforts, at least until they found their footing in the industry. So Wiederhorn and Average spent about six months trying to eliminate all of the plot holes in those early Average scripts, and they consulted with De Palma regularly about his thoughts on the process. Now, once it was complete, De Palma shopped it around, and he did gain some early interest from studios. 20th Century Fox started to enter into a deal, but then pulled out. Lorimar uh, also was interested, but they, that deal fell through. And then the bottom happened to fall through on the FIRE project, the thing that De Palma wanted to do as his next project, because producer Keith Barish, he thought that the script was pretty bad and the price tag was way too high to try to push forward with it. So De Palma offered to Barish body double as a fallback, but Barish also was not interested in that one. So Craig Baumgarten, who happened to be an executive who worked for both Barish as well as at Columbia Pictures, he thought both ideas were solid enough to try to develop into films, and he took it to Columbia. Now, Columbia was very agreeable with uh, developing both of these films, but they wanted De Palma also to be the director of Body Double, not Wiederhorn. 
De Palma did refuse this. He thought that uh, this was going to be Wiederhorn's film. Columbia decided to compromise. They would okay Wiederhorn if De Palma was on the set every day as the producer. But De Palma argued also that this was unnecessary because his films were something that were completed in pre-production. He had the screenplay. There was a lot of production planning he had already been involved with. He did the storyboards. Columbia was mulling this over as to what they were going to do with it. So... Further delays, though, to fire at Columbia caused Travolta eventually to leave for another film that he had already been contracted to do, effectively ending Columbia's interest in that. So when De Palma took over the reins of Scarface as his next film, and it too became his second straight film to go over budget as well as to lose money at the box office, De Palma felt inordinate pressure at this point of his career. He thought his next film really had to be financially successful because studios controlled the money. They are the ones who determine what filmmakers are going to do next. So filmmakers are reliant on success, financial success, to fund their dream projects if they want to make them. So De Palma decided to reluctantly re-enter the Hitchcockian thriller genre yet again, his bread and butter film. He would take over the director's chair for Body Double. He did insist, though, that he have final cut rights on the film. Wiederhorn was obviously very miffed about losing the gig here, but he also lost writing credit because De Palma decided to completely rewrite the script. Now, during this period, De Palma happened to be plagued with a lot of what you might call negative emotions. He had a lot of anger, obviously resentment, very much bitter at this point of his career that things were not going his way. In addition to these canceled projects and the financial disappointments of those projects that did make it to the screen, he had just undergone a very unpleasant divorce with his actress wife, Nancy Allen. So he had a lot of those feelings. He was really channeling his angst. He was going to really push forward this film that he really didn't want to do against his detractors, the movie critics. The women's leagues, the ratings board, they had all labeled his art as smut in the past or a glorification of violence. So after tempering his prior films to try to avoid X ratings, he was always butting heads with the ratings board. He contemplated he was going to make body double without any kind of compromise. Maybe this would be the first of a new wave of filmmaking, really liberating filmmakers. He could be the pioneer for a wave of X rated films by mainstream studio directors. He was going to show with Body Double, his Puritan detractors, what true pornography is with more sex and violence than they'd ever experienced or witnessed before. As he said about the screenplay, he decided to avoid some of the more obvious connections with Hitchcock, avoiding a bathroom death, you know, the drowning in the tub, another bathroom death, very much teased with Dress to Kill, teased with Blowout, there was also a death in the bathtub in Scarface, so he wanted to break away from getting into the fourth straight film doing this. Obviously, there were going to be allusions to Psycho, to Diabolique. De Palma envisioned that he should do something modern for a death in Body Double, something not done before. And he thought about this idea he had back in 1972 when he was making his first really Hitchcockian thriller called Sisters. He was going to have an electric drill that was plugged into the wall. It was going to be used to attack somebody. But at the last second, it would become unplugged from the wall after the killer uh, went a little too far with it, just before entering the intended victim, not only giving audiences a fright, but also temporary relief before eventually the killer does come through. 
The drill that he was going to use in Body Double, it would serve also a narrative purpose because it would really set up this Rastafarian thief as somebody who was out to break into the safe. It could be seen from afar, but it had to be something that was going to be seen through a window from across the street. So it had to be a drill with a bit large enough to be visible from somebody witnessing from a distance. So the drill bit also would have to be long enough to drive all the way through a human body. De Palma also decided to change this ending where the Rastafarian's identity is revealed when the husband's blackface makeup gets washed away while he's fighting with the protagonist inside of a swimming pool. De Palma did decide at this point, well, maybe a Rastafarian was kind of the wrong approach. He decided to change it to an Indian, like a Native American Indian, if I refer to Indian, I mean Native American here, but he's referred to as the Indian in the film. De Palma felt that Indians were unafraid to work at great heights, and that was something that was needed to be shown because the Indian was going to be spying on the wife while pretending to work on this satellite dish nearby. And he also felt that Indians were aggressively macho as opposed to the passive protagonist. It would be a, a very big contrast. So De Palma replaced not only the Rastafarian with the Indian, but also replaced the swimming pool at this point with an open grave at an Indian burial ground to keep up with that theme. And that notion of this open grave gave De Palma another idea. He was going to add a fatal flaw to the protagonist of having severe claustrophobia, which was kind of a, a little bit different than the, the acrophobia in Vertigo. But claustrophobia was something that De Palma happened to be very knowledgeable about because Nancy Allen, his ex-wife now, was a lifelong sufferer and actually came into play during the making of his prior films. The Indian burial ground or the cemetery idea also gave De Palma another thing he was going to bring into the film, this idea for a vampire movie within the movie. So he envisioned his protagonist, who he named John Scully at the time. He was going to be a B-movie actor who could not perform in his casket as a vampire because of his claustrophobia. So Scully relates the origin of his claustrophobia a little bit later in the film during this acting class, which stemmed from this anecdote from De Palma's own childhood. Because De Palma happened to be, when he was a kid, he was playing this game called Sardine with his siblings, his two older brothers. He hid behind this refrigerator or freezer, but he ended up getting stuck there. And so he was crying out for help from his older brothers and feeling very humiliated because his older brothers would mercilessly tease him for being inferior to them throughout most of their childhood. While De Palma was out location scouting as well, he also discovered this very narrow tunnel that was near a beach that he wanted to shoot at, and he decided he was going to use that as a location for the antagonist being able to exploit Scully's fear to fail the woman he's been spying on and become infatuated with, very much similar in a fashion to how Gavin Elster exploits Scotty's acrophobia in Vertigo. Now, in the final script, which you see on the screen, there's a claustrophobic actor named Jake Scully that was renamed from John in the early treatments. Jay Scully was going to play a vampire in this cheapy horror flick, Vampire's Kiss, and he was somebody who was generally full of fear. He's kind of a passive person, and he becomes overwhelmed by those feelings during his performance, both on and off the set. And he ends up getting fired from the film for not being effectively to act as a vampire while he's in a coffin. But he also, when he goes home, he discovers his girlfriend is cheating on him. And needing a new place to stay because he was living at his girlfriend's house, 
Scully accepts a house-sitting assignment in a ritzy mansion in the Hollywood Hills for the rich friend of a fellow actor he had just met called Sam Bouchard. Now, through this telescope that happens to be there, Bouchard shows Scully this sexy female neighbor in a house across the canyon who is performing a nightly striptease before she ends up masturbating. So Scully becomes infatuated with looking at this woman through the telescope, and he becomes infatuated with the woman herself, actually. He starts following around whenever she's out and about, and he suspects that she might be in some sort of trouble because he also discovers that there's another man following her, this very sinister-looking Native American watching her every move. That's the basic setup. There's a lot more that happens after that, of course. So the reason why this film is set in kind of across a canyon now is because De Palma decided to reset his film. He wanted to avoid more Rear Window plagiarism accusations because Rear Window was set in part of Manhattan and De Palma's original script was going to be set in Manhattan. So he decided to change the setting to Los Angeles because that was also where the adult film industry was located, a place where you would naturally find somebody to act an adult film actress to act as the body double. So Hollywood actresses that he consulted for Holly Body, which was the name of the porn actress that was hired by the antagonist to pose as his wife named Gloria Ravel during her sexual acts. None of those Hollywood actresses, those mainstream actresses, seemed really comfortable in coming in and simulating explicit sexual acts or delivering explicit dialogue. So De Palma determined that he really needed an adult film star to properly play one without inhibition. So De Palma started cycling through dozens of pornographic films, and he started contacting these actresses that he thought could work because he knew that they could handle sexually graphic material already. De Palma ultimately selected among those Annette Haven to play Holly Body because he felt that among porn actresses, she had the best physique that he had seen, but she also excelled at improvisation because adult films tended to not have very much of a script, and she happened to be very good at making things up on the fly. Haven also happened to be very open with her attitude. Viewing her participation in the industry as a way to educate the public about sex, she had no shame about what she did, at least externally. De Palma interviewed Haven extensively, because he was gaining from their interviews a lot of insight into the adult film industry, something he had been fascinated with as a, as a filmmaker, he greatly expanded not only the role of Holly Body during this, these interviews, but also the adult film industry components because of all of this new input that he was gaining from Haven. Haven did object when De Palma showed her another revision because he had started putting a lot of her personal anecdotes into the script, things that really happened to her, so she really didn't like that. She felt kind of violated by that because he did not ask permission. So he decided he was going to remove those things that were specifically about Haven, things that she brought in. And he rewrote Holly Body as a Haven-esque film actress, but not specifically about Haven. De Palma also found others that he had talked to within the adult industry that he was introduced to from Haven. He found all of those people very funny, surprisingly refreshing and interesting and intelligent. And he expanded the second half of Body Double to showcase a lot of this aspect that he had learned. Now for the lead role, De Palma really wanted to get Kurt Russell to play Jake Scully, but that did not materialize. So De Palma started auditioning a lot of other actors to come in and rehearse 
opposite Annette Haven. They would perform scenes, not from this movie, but from Body Heat, as well as scenes from A Marriage, to try to determine their ability not only to handle eroticism, but also the relationship drama. And among these actors that came in, De Palma ultimately chose Craig Wasson, because he saw very similar qualities to Jimmy Stewart, the star, of course, of Rear Window and Vertigo, which this film was very much emulating. He felt that among all of the actors he had seen, he most could convincingly not only play a vulnerable patsy, but also a confident hotshot, as the story arc required from beginning to end. Columbia, though, was not completely happy with Craig Watson. He was not really a known star, but De Palma dismissed the need to put in big names into the film because he said that his name alone, De Palma's name, was going to be enough to put on the posters and to sell his movies. He had already become kind of a brand of movie that people expected to see, and they were going to come out for his films no matter what. De Palma's philosophy on Body Double came from this feeling that most people in life were observers. They were not really actors. Many of us are just extras in life. We rarely take action for the things that we desire. So Scully, in his film, he would struggle as an actor because he fails to act in real life. He fails to take action. His stagnancy to act makes him the perfect patsy for a murderer who can act. It turns out literally and figuratively because his colleague, the antagonist of the film, is a fellow actor. The killer's power comes from his disguise. So long as he's in character, the killer can operate with impunity. The story's turn occurs when Jake builds the courage to act on the world's biggest stage, life itself. Now, it became apparent while auditioning all of these male candidates that Haven really lacked the kind of acting range that De Palma was really comfortable with for the role. She was comfortable performing sexual components, but there was something about her that lacked the component to be romantic, to, to flirt convincingly. Haven was game to do sexual acts, but she lacked also some sort of sexiness. Wasson's observation on it was that Haven had spent so many years creating this persona to try to shield herself from criticism, and that persona became a protective shell that was always there. She kept it always around to the point where she even lost the connection with who she was. So she really couldn't act naturally because she was playing a persona, playing an adult film actress, playing a sexy housewife for the role. She was several steps removed from a reality that she never showed anybody, certainly not any men, because she had developed a deep mistrust for men throughout her life. Columbia, when they saw that De Palma started doing interviews and talking about he, he was going to make an X-rated film, decided to step in, they did not want to be funding an X-rated film, and they especially did not want to fund one starring a porn actress. X-rated movies had extremely limited distribution. They had a hard time getting any kind of theater bookings, and there were almost no advertising opportunities. De Palma also was contractually obligated to deliver a film no harder than R, so he was obligated. If he was going to make Body Double with Columbia, he was not going to make an X-rated film. So De Palma was kind of miffed about this. He expressed his predicament while he was at dinner with a friend of his, Scarface actor Stephen Bauer, and Bauer's actress wife, Melanie Griffith. De Palma had become very good friends with Bauer and Griffith, and De Palma decided to ask Melanie Griffith herself, maybe she could get him in contact with her best friend, Jamie Lee Curtis. Curtis was known for doing horror films and doing them very effectively, and she was 
also the daughter of Janet Lee from Psycho. So very much somebody that De Palma could tie in with that Hitchcockian theme. Curtis, though, decided to decline. She had already been a screen queen in films. She wanted to break out of that typecasting, but she had also just appeared in Trady Places as a hooker. She didn't want to get now typecast as a sex worker. So after Curtis turned it down, Griffith did inquire to De Palma why he didn't ask her. Now, like Curtis, she was the daughter of a star actress in Hitchcock films, Tippi Hedren, who was the star, of course, of The Birds as well as Marnie. De Palma told Griffith that the actress that he wanted to play Holly Body had to be uninhibited about nudity and sex. And he had fired, essentially, Griffith from the set of Carrie because she had refused to kiss an actor that she didn't even know. But Griffith assured him that that was back then. She had taken a lot of acting classes since then, and she had changed. And she would perform, if he wanted, a screen test to prove that she was willing to do anything that he asked Haven to do so long as he promised to destroy the tape. So she did. She performed the sexual acts that were required in the scene onto a tape. De Palma compared Griffith's audition tape with Haven's and concluded that Griffith was the obvious right actress. She had an ability to show this Marilyn Monroe-like vulnerability that Haven absolutely lacked. So De Palma decided Haven had to be replaced, not only because Griffith was better, but because the studio really was going to pull funding. So he decided he was going to pay Haven the same amount as a consultant. Now, Haven was obviously going to be unhappy that this big break for her was no longer there. She was initially cold to Griffith in order to give her tips on how to perform her role. But as she got to know Griffith, she warmed up, she grew to like her, and they became pretty good friends while on the set. Griffith also admired Haven greatly. She had a, a very independent attitude. And because of that, Griffith decided she wanted to portray Holly not as a victim, but as an intelligent, liberated businesswoman. De Palma spent two weeks going over the Holly body look with Griffith before determining that she should sport this cropped platinum blonde hairstyle that suited her. As the character began to evolve under Griffith, as well as Haven consulting, Griffith no longer identified with the Holly body in the script. She wanted Holly body's nature changed. She didn't think that Holly body, as she envisioned her, was somebody who would be in cahoots with Sam's wife's murder. And she also didn't think that in the end that she should die. So De Palma decided to rewrite the part. So Holly did not know why she was being asked to perform sexual acts in this home and also that she would survive at the end. Rather than have Detective McLean, the, the police detective that was going to be in the film, save the day, kind of a deus ex machina at the end, De Palma also wrote that Scully would save himself as well as Holly by overcoming his fears and becoming much more of a man of action by the end. Now, for another change that came in the development during location scouting, De Palma became very enamored with this one spot where this aqueduct and reservoir existed. So he decided to set the location of the climax out there in an open pit instead of in the Indian burial ground he had originally envisioned out in the woods. The intended ending would have Sam Bouchard, the antagonist, falling into the aqueduct's rushing water after trying to bury the protagonist when Scully finds the courage to fight back. But as he filmed this, De Palma felt that this ending lacked some sort of sizzle. So he wrote in a canine companion for Bouchard that knocks not only himself as well as Bouchard into the waters while they're scuffling. For the seduction for the sexual act through the window, De Palma had originally scripted the scene where Holly 
is performing some sort of exercise prior to her masturbation. But Griffith asserted that no woman was going to find doing a bunch of exercise erotic as a prelude to nightly self-stimulation. So Haven mentioned that she had kind of like a seductive dance that she performed during her live stage shows. And so she trained Griffith on how to perform it. And De Palma agreed that this sexy dance was actually kind of an improvement, something that uh, somebody would want to watch rather than just somebody just randomly exercising. Griffith, by the way, did not need a body double for her scenes, but she did have occasional bouts of self-consciousness while she was performing in the nude sexual acts in front of everybody. And that resulted in the set being pretty much cleared of all onlookers that did not need to be there. For the role of the bad guy, Sam Bouchard de Palma preferred Greg Henry over runner-ups like David Dukes and Guy Boyd because he felt that Greg Henry really fit the mold of the typical villain that he liked to use in films, like John Lithgow in Obsession, the quintessential de Palma trope of the good guy who's actually the bad guy, we find out at the end. The helpful guy is usually the conniving guy. Henry had a part a very tiny one in Scarface, and De Palma was very fond of him and his acting style. De Palma decided to cast the runner-up Guy Boyd as Detective McLean instead. For Gloria, Gloria Ravel, the, uh, the wife that ends up getting murdered, De Palma felt that he needed a very stunning actress who could really captivate a man without ever saying a word, but somebody who would still have a vulnerability and approachability. Somebody like former Miss USA and Miss Universe finalist Deborah Shelton, who was just recently on a stint on TV's Dallas. Now, Shelton herself was not going to do any nude scenes. In fact, she had declined a six-figure offer from Hugh Hefner to bear all in Playboy magazine several years prior, despite posing for the cover of that magazine. A body double would need to perform her racier scenes, pretty much echoing the plot, And De Palma gave individual instruction to Shelton all along the way, really coaching her on exactly how to look and act and say. Now, for her death scene, Shelton was supposed to get chased in a negligee, but De Palma was not happy with the shape of Shelton's hips and thighs specifically. He felt that this was not a De Palma body, i.e. perfection, at least in his mind. So he ordered Shelton to go on a crash diet and also to really increase her exercise. So Shelton had to hire a personal trainer to try to look her very best while wearing the very least. Shelton really did not like the fact that Gloria Ravel was going to be a complete victim. She wanted Gloria to have some sort of fighting chance to fight back, but De Palma declined, said that that was not part of her character. After continuing to ask If she could get in a a couple of punches or kicks, De Palma jokingly said that he was going to have Gloria also get hit with a baseball bat if she continued to ask another question about that. As far as cool shots goes, De Palma wanted a shot rotating 360 degrees around Jake having sex with Holly during the X-rated movie while intercutting his imagining making love to Gloria on the beach where they kissed also in 360 degree round fashion. This was something that was very similar to a shot that Hitchcock used in Vertigo, where Scotty imagines himself in the livery stables kissing the woman he thought was the real Madeline, but of course, in both instances, is the fake. Dennis Franz came on board, Dennis Franz, a a De Palma regular at the time by this point. He agreed to play the B-movie director for the film within the film. John Rubin, who happens to have the same name as the character played by Robert De Niro in De Palma's Greetings and Hi, Mom. Franz agreed to do the role as a favor, but he stipulated that he would only play the role if he could play the director as De Palma, basically doing De Palma 
while he's on the set, including using De Palma's own clothing for the wardrobe. De Palma agreed. After De Palma learned that Craig Wasson was a songwriter and musician, as well as being an actor, he asked him to write a song specifically for Body Double, and so Wasson wrote this ditty in the vein of the police's Every Step You Take called What You Do, I Do. However, Columbia, they saw that since there was going to be a song in the movie, they felt that this was an opportunity to promote one of their own acts with a song. One of their own acts being Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and they had a song called Relax, which really fit in with the nature of the adult film industry, they felt, because it was a very sexual song. The band happened to love De Palma's style. They were big fans of his films, and they hoped that they could use the sequence that was used in the film as their official music video. But MTV deemed that what was the result was a little too racy, too explicit, so they would not air it. So the band created other videos that they felt better served the song's promotion on various platforms. Voyeurism, of course, is a very common theme in De Palma's films. Films themselves really are voyeuristic because... We get to observe other people's lives without having to participate. We observe them as if we're there in the room with them. Voyeurs, though, in society are looked down upon because of very moralistic stances. In fact, the morals of uh, voyeurs are so low that the police in Body Double disregard Scully's story because he's just a peeping Tom, so therefore a suspect somehow for being able to tell the truth. But we relate to voyeurism because we are, as people, all somebody who would peek at a sexy neighbor undressing if we had the opportunity to do that without being discovered. The difference, of course, is how far we would go beyond just looking. Jake's voyeurism here also leads him to take in an adult movie. That's where he finds porn actress Holly Body performing the same seductive dancing as Gloria, not knowing that Holly Body and Gloria are the same, at least in Jake Scully's observations. So he's compelled to meet Holly Body, the woman who very much reminds him of Gloria, and Jake enters the underground world of pornography to try to find her. And in this den of immorality, he finds eventually salvation, adopting the mantra, I like to watch, and there's nothing to be ashamed about. He sheds his self-consciousness in watching and being watched because he realizes that everybody in life is a watcher. His manhood comes from disregarding others' opinions and doing for self, and that happened to be, at that time of his life, a credo that De Palma was very much approaching in his efforts at filmmaking. An epilogue in filmmaking showing an actual body double being used in a shower scene echoes the one for Dress to Kill. De Palma had originally intended to place that scene that occurs at the end, that epilogue, at the beginning of the film, but he felt that it really tipped off audiences too much about the body double twist, even though the film is called Body Double, so there's already <laughs> that notion in, I think, people's minds that, that there is some sort of doubling going on. As the film was about to be released, they decided to do sneak previews. They originally scheduled sneak previews at over 500 theaters nationwide, try to drum up word of mouth. Those ended up getting all canceled after the first one, which took place in Van Nuys in California. It found a very unhappy audience. They had recruited an audience from nearby shopping malls to take in this film, and a significant number of them, mainly women, walked out early during the showing, especially after the bloody drill murder. Those who did remain gave the film very low scores as well. Even though De Palma had kind of final cut on this film, Columbia really encouraged him to take a closer look at changing 
uh, some elements of his film that the audience really did not like, including the murder. So De Palma was fuming about this. He railed against removing elements based on one test screening, especially because Columbia was here putting the opinions of random mall shoppers, mall shoppers who weren't even seeking to see this specific film, above those of people like him and other people in the film industry who had spent their whole lives doing filmmaking. Somehow they were the ones who would determine what would be and not be in the film. And De Palma felt that if he removed every element that somebody would find objectionable in any of his films, he would have no films left. After they decided to also do a press screening, a Columbia exec who was in the room told De Palma that the critics there were going to kill him with their reviews, and they did. Critics were either very mixed in their positivity or they were very negative in their responses to Body Double. Some did offer praise for Griffith's gutsy performance, but most of them slammed De Palma for continuing his trend toward gratuitous sex and gratuitous violence, and also for ripping off Hitchcock in a very obvious way. They also derided this film just purely as a mystery. They found it way too easy to deduce who was the killer and the killer's motives, and this whole bait and switch aspect of the plot It was very much obvious to most people. This was just an exercise in style and De Palma ripping off De Palma ripping off Hitchcock, they thought. De Palma dismissed all of this criticism of promoting violence against women. He stated that violent films, he felt, actually purged audiences of these impulses. He asserted that morality also is not something that should be applied to art. Art reflects reality, not the opposite. He also felt that he would be vindicated artistically in the end because critics at the time, also derided Psycho as too violent, but it became very financially successful anyway, and they lauded it. Now, obviously, Hitchcock's influences are undeniable in this film. De Palma would be the first to admit that, but he does bristle at plagiarism accusations because he proclaimed that Hitchcock pioneered every story form and technique possible in the genre of suspense, so it really doomed all who wanted to make films in the suspense genre to inevitable comparisons, De Palma felt that he brought enough things of his own, enough ideas to merit his own trademark style. Unfortunately, when it was released, Body Double was also a box office failure. De Palma's third in a row. It took on under $9 million. The budget was $10 million. Of course, not factoring in advertisements and such. It was a loser at the box office. It failed to remain in the top 10 weekly charts beyond its second week in the United States. Griffith, though, did come out fairly clean from this. She did get a, a Golden Globe nomination for her performance, but De Palma continued to get derided. He was nominated for Worst Director, again, at the Razzie Awards, just like he was for Dress to Kill. Wiederhorn, the originally intended director for this film called Body Double, De Palma's worst picture, he felt that De Palma really stripped away a lot of the meticulous plotting that they had developed in the average script. Wiederhorn thought that all of the changes that De Palma made to it ultimately weakened what he thought was going to be a crackerjack thriller. Body Double still exists. If you're a De Palma fan, you probably do admire it and enjoy it. It is very potent. It's a fairly trivial film in De Palma's, you know, oeuvre, but uh, De Palma here, you know, not only, you know, borrowing a lot of elements from Hitchcock, but also really recycling a lot of things he had done in his prior films as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a reactionary film. It's very much admirable if you follow De Palma's career. 
I happen to enjoy it because I enjoy Hitchcock. So Hitchcockian thrillers are something that I very much enjoy as well. And De Palma does it as good as anybody. So I still enjoy Body Double as a film, even though I may not necessarily wholeheartedly recommend it to most people because you have to kind of already have a taste for De Palma's style to really enjoy Body Double and to understand what he was trying to do here and how it fit in with his career. Even at its worst, and there are bad elements to Body Double, I will admit, it is not a boring film. It does keep you riveted as to what is going on. It's not really something that has a lot of solid storytelling and it doesn't have any kind of airtight logic, but it all kind of falls apart when you start thinking about it. And the cast, you know, while they, they do have spunk, they fall short of the likes of the talents of, say, Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. So all in all, I will grade Body Double as three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for people who like this kind of movie. And specifically, I would recommend it to people who either really enjoy De Palma's other films generally and are just really interested, especially his thrillers like Dressed to Kill and Sisters and Obsession, but also... People who are really big Hitchcock fans might enjoy this other take on a lot of his films. Uh, I That's definitely why I really enjoy Body Double. Even if it doesn't really hold up to the level of a, a Hitchcock film, it's very much entertaining to watch as a Hitchcockian effort. If you like that genre, you'll probably like this as well. So long as you can deal with the subject matter, the, the sex and the violence in the film might put off some viewers, especially the murder at the heart of this film so three stars out of four is what i give body double and probably the best that most people would give it although there are some people who really think body double is one of de palma's best films or at least one of their favorites if you have your own thoughts on body double that you want to impart to me something i may not have covered here i do encourage you to write to me you can find my contact information at my website that's at quipster.net q-w-i-p-s-t-e-r.net links to my twitter feed my facebook page and my instagram are also there as far as what i'm going to be doing next week well let's keep on with the hitchcockian vibe while i'm on a roll I am very much enthused to see more Hitchcockian films, so hopefully you are as well. Let's go into a film that came out kind of in the middle of these De Palma films, but this one happened to have actually big stars in the film. Meryl Streep, Roy Scheider, uh, Jessica Tandy also is in the film. It is a Hitchcockian effort by filmmaker Robert Benton called Still of the Night from 1982, and that will be the film I review on the next episode of around the world in 80s movies so check that out if you haven't done so or if you haven't watched it in a while i will talk about it in all its detail on the next episode until then thanks everyone for listening and joining me as we travel around the world in 80s movies 